It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Rochelle Travers, and this is The Leader. The voice of Yevgeny Prigozhin, the man who led a failed mutiny against Vladimir Putin in June, and one of ten people reportedly killed in a plane crash in Western Russia. Unconfirmed media reports say the jet involved belonged to Prigozhin, founder of the Wagner private military company, and that he was on the passenger list along with his right-hand man, Dmitry Utkin. What exactly happened remains unclear, but there is huge speculation surrounding the incident. But just how significant is the death of Prigozhin, and where does this all leave Russia now? Robert Fox is the Evening Standard's defence editor. Yevgeny Prigozhin is somebody whose political fortune was very much tied to that of Vladimir Putin. They rose to prominence together uh, under the protection of a very charismatic mayor of Petersburg called Sobchak, Anatoly Sobchak, at the beginning of the 1990s. In the 1980s, of course, Putin had been a KGB colonel. And in 1981, this rather obscure fellow, Yevgeny Prigozhin, actually was a jailbird. He went to jail for gangster activities. He emerged. He ran, amongst other things, a hot dog stall. And then they ended up in the circle of the mayor of uh, Petersburg. And from there, he was incredibly good at self-promotion and the promotion of his pal, Putin, who was in charge of security for subjects. He did it first from uh, by uh, starting a catering company called Concord, which won contracts not only for the mayoralty, but eventually for the Russian army. And so he was always known as uh, uh, Putin's cook and used to appear on great occasions and uh, on state banquets. And it was quite clear that they were buddies. But then he started doing a lot of other things, which proved very useful to the rising Vladimir Putin. So what led Prigozhin to try and lead a mutiny against Putin back in June? And why is Prigozhin's reported death so concerning? You, you have to go through the, the, the various activities that he did, that he got involved in the Wagner mercenary that is a private security a military company, which was founded in 2014 by somebody else who died in the crash with um, Prigozhin, a man called Dmitry Utin. And this proved very successful. But before that, he got involved in the whole internet business and was a sponsor, founder indeed, of the IRA, the Internet Research Agency, so-called, in Petersburg. But it's known in common language as the troll factory because it got very heavily into cyber warfare counter information disinformation fake news even 
and is believed to have been very important in the social media campaigns uh, in Europe and in the US in 2016. It was when, though, that he sort of saw himself as a sort of pocket Napoleon running this private military company that things seemed to get out of hand. Wagner had been very useful in Africa, in Syria and in Libya, and was getting really deeply involved in various activities on behalf of Russian interests in Western Africa, where they filled their boots because they've been involved in things like rare earth minerals, were mining of key elements that are needed in battery production, for example. But also they took over to their great profit things like gold mines and so on. And so began to see himself as very much the power next to the throne, or if not behind the throne with Putin. And then we get the Ukraine war. Now, in the Ukraine war, he does various things. He raises a lot more troops, a lot from emptying jails and getting criminals involved. And they delivered. They delivered by getting involved in very nasty fights, particularly for the town of Bakhmut uh, over the winter, which is very nasty, which had 10,000, possibly even 100,000 plus casualties. And not only did he do that, he felt that he was unrewarded. They were undersupplied. And he criticized the Russian military, never criticized Putin for not providing him with enough ammunition, enough wherewithal, if necessary, enough pay and artillery and key armaments like that. And this criticism got louder and louder, particularly of Sergei Shoigu, the defense minister, and of Valery Gerasimov, the head military man, the general in charge, chief of the defense staff, but now in charge of the Ukraine operation. And this comes to a head 60 days ago, exactly to the day, 24th of June, when uh, they pull out the bulk of the Wagner fighters and they go to Rostov-on-Don, which is a big base for supplying the Ukraine war, and he declares, well, what does he declare? He declares a march on Moscow. He seems uh, to have had no trouble with the military authorities in Rostov. He was greeted as a hero, and they start going up the road to Moscow, which is quite a way, and they get to the key symbolic town of Novgorod. There isn't nearly enough uh, forced to do anything serious. But Putin gets very, very angry indeed and gives a rather intemperate broadcast off the car, five minutes, announcing them as traitors. It's worse than being stabbed in the back, being stabbed in the front, that these great allies, and they must be, su- they must suffer and they must be crushed. This in curtains for Mr. Prigozhin. But within 24 hours, a deal was done. A deal was done with a rather dubious figure called Alexander Lukashenko who is the president, not particularly legitimate in the eyes of the rest of the world, the president of Belarus. And he said, oh, no, we'll sort of doubt really that there's been a great misunderstanding. I'm very much in support of our close ally, Mr. Putin. And actually, it wasn't aimed at throwing out Putin. I don't think it ever was, by the way. And so Wagner and Prigozhin can go and set up base in Belarus, which seemed to suit everybody. And indeed, there appears to be quite strong evidence that Putin and Prigozhin met four days after the so-called mutiny. But then things go very murky indeed. It's not really clear what Prigozhin was up to. He, he appeared, gave rather clownish video recordings, one the last two or three days ago, allegedly from Africa, which may well be true. Because what was happening in Africa, where, as I explained, 
Wagner has been very successful in weaseling its way, wheedling its way, uh, particularly into countries like Niger, where it seems to be behind the coup, the military coup there, uh, and, and stuffing its pockets. But the, the Russian mainstream, Russian military, such that it is, got fed up with this, and he was on a warning. That appears to have been happening in Africa, that he comes back from Africa and then takes this flight from Moscow to Petersburg. But what is so strange is it does not mean the end of Wagner, which will carry on. It's got lots of assets, got quite a bit of money in the bank, I strongly suspect. And so it will be asset stripped. There are survivors, very powerful men like Kuznetsov, who was one of the, the senior staff commanders of Wagner, Will they sell themselves out to the highest bidder? Because it is absolutely clear that Putin and his military rely on such quasi-official, unofficial, private groups. Mr. Shoigu, the defense minister himself, has his own militia called the Patriots. And it is not clear what happens from here, because in itself, the disappearance of Prigozhin from the scene doesn't change much in the war in you, whether Wagner forces will go back, there is neither here nor there because they're not that big. But coincidental with the disappearance of Prigozhin and his buddies on the uh, flight that crashed over Tver Oblast um, on Wednesday, that Putin seems to have been having quite a big sort out with his generals. He met them face to face, which he hadn't for a long time at the beginning of the week. Yesterday, he sacked um, Sergei Surovkin, the Air Force general, who was known to be the hammer of Aleppo, a great buddy of Yevgeny Prigozhin, uh, the mercenary leader. He had been, first of all, overall commander in Ukraine. He was demoted to number two. And now I think he may even have been interviewed under caution, if not arrested. And I, he certainly... It seems to be in some form of house arrest. So there's a big sort out there. Let's go to the ads. Stay there to hear our defence editor, Robert Fox, on the latest developments with the Russia-Ukraine war and his predictions on what Putin might do next. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime? This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome back. Still with me is the Evening Standards Defence Editor, Robert Fox. Robert, given the latest developments, what do you think Putin is going to do next? Well, there's a bit of a clue. Yesterday, too, at the BRICS, that's the summit of 
uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa in South Africa, to which they are admitting six more members, this new grouping. There was a video speech, a video cast by Putin, in which he spelled out quite clearly, the war in Ukraine is no longer a special military operation. It is a war for the very national strategic strategic survival of Russia itself. Now, the curious thing is that from what we've picked up today from people, uh, Russian politicians in the Duma, the parliament who've been canvassed, none is mourning the departure of Prigozhin. He'd become a clown. He'd become an embarrassment. And some even said they saw it coming. What is so interesting is that the professional technocrats who keep very, very quiet, those that are running things like the central bank, the institutions, the ministries, really welcome the departure of Prigozhin. But what the new phase of national survival really means is still very, very unclear. Because does that mean there's going to be another mass mobilization? I think there will be. And Putin still seems to be very reluctant to call it a national emergency to bring out a national call out. If you have nationwide conscription, you all have to serve. And he's come very close to it now. Then that is really that is really testing the thing to breaking point, because if it doesn't work, he doesn't work anymore. But there's also in all this like in all conjuring tricks, there is a big exercise in misdirection. The fighting is dreadful. It is going on. No one side seems to be really on top along the central front, about 650 miles of front, in which the focuses we know run from Kherson in the west to Kharkiv in the east. But the fulcrum, the point of the balance, really appears to be around Zaporizhia. Some optimists had predicted a breakthrough, a breakthrough to the coast, through Melitopol, getting down even to Mariupol. So they would be on the sea, the Sea of Azov, uh, choking off any supply to the Black Sea. The real story appears to be in the Black Sea itself, because uh, having tried to terrorise the civilian population of Ukraine by bombing their cities quite randomly uh, with long-range missiles and with cheap drones like the Lancet uh, drone. Putin's main emphasis now is choking Ukraine by cutting it off from the sea, by blockading totally along the Black Sea. And that was why he cancelled the Black Sea Grain Initiative, the so-called BSGI. He said, no more grain, no more grain, uh, and we're going to stop Ukrainian grain coming out. And they bombed all these port facilities and even threatened international shipping in international waters in the Black Sea. Meanwhile, we know, if you've been following the story of the ghost ships, it's trying to get its own grain out, either via Crimea or the Sea of Azov, which lies to the east. But it seems to be a trap, and they're trying to move by local shipping to Crimea, getting to the big ports of the Crimea, and then moving the grain off there. And this is what the Ukrainians are aiming from with their sea drones, underwater and surface sea drones. This is a major theatre now. It's a major theatre because so much of the fighting, so much of the action goes in on around or actually on the surface of international waters. And if Russia really does sink a major piece of shipping, like a freighter, an oil tanker in the international waters of the Black Sea, then we go to another dimension.
So seeing the way he's move, maneuvering, now you see me, now you don't. Forget Prigozhin. This is now a war of national survival. We're going to do various things. I'm as keen on the sea as I am on the land, not only the Black Sea, the Baltic, where he feels he's being choked by NATO, and even activities over the Northern Cape from the Arctic into the North Sea. This is quite a long-drawn international confrontation. It isn't an international war. It's an international confrontation built around a national and international war between two countries and their right to territory and self-determination, Ukraine and Russia. You can read more about this story in the Evening Standard newspaper or on our website, standard.co.uk. The Leader Podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.